Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Well, it is Christmas season, but more importantly, it is officially Christmas music season. Where are my people at that like Christmas music? All right, all right, all right. Uh, here's the reality, uh, to those who just raised your hand, who are we kidding, we've been listening to for this for months, right? Like, it's not like, oh, now we're, like, we've been listening to it for a while. I love Christmas music uh, at a level that might not be healthy. And so I just wanna share that with you. Uh, I've been working on my own Spotify Christmas mix for years now. Uh, I have been working on this, and I am up to more than 95 hours of music. If you're mentally trying to do the math in your head, that is more than 1,600 songs uh, that I have personally curated. Every year I add songs, every year I remove songs that got annoying to me over the years. And I have just, you know, continued to do this. I just love Christmas music. Now, I love the way that Christmas music makes you feel. Uh, I love just, you know, the, the feelings of that old time music. You know, it sounds great. Uh, but I also love the lyrics. And I love how many of the lyrics are, are very thought-provoking and very reflective. I go, wow, that's, that's a really interesting, you know, take on this. And, and one of the songs I was listening to this week, I thought, man, that is a great setup uh, for the passage that we're going to look at today. And so, uh, in the spirit of Christmas, the, the song, Do You Hear What I Hear?, uh, has three different questions that it asks that I think are great questions. It begins with, do you see what I see, right? Uh, it begins with that, and then it moves to the second question in the next verse, do you hear what I hear? And then it asks, do you know what I know? I thought, what great questions to ask at, at this time of the year, but also this is, this is the challenge of Christmas. Like, have you experienced this story? Have, have you really seen it? Have you really heard it? Do you really know it? Well, I wanna welcome you to Abundant Life Church, to those in the room with me, to those of you who are watching or listening online, uh, either through our YouTube channel or maybe on Facebook or maybe on a podcast. We're so glad that you are here as well. Uh, my name is Jeremy, the lead pastor here, and we are continuing in the series that we've been in, uh, going through the Gospel of John. And so I wanna encourage you, uh, get your journals out if you've got a journal. We are in week one uh, of this series, or this journal, as so you can go, there you can find your spot in week one. Uh, get your Bibles out. We are still in John chapter one. Uh, we'll be there for a little bit. And so uh, go John chapter one, go to week one. And then if you are writing down, you'll see a spot to uh, write down a title there. If you wanna reference uh, this message, you can write down the title. Do you see what I see? As I looked at that song, I thought, man, that question in particular is a great question for us to ask as you look at today's passage. And so I encourage you, to write that down. Now, if you would, uh, get your Bible out, go to John chapter one, get your spot ready there. We're gonna be there in just a moment. And if you've got a physical Bible with you, that's awesome. If you've got a Bible app, I encourage you to get that out as well. And, and you can read along in John one. While you're turning there, I wanna read a passage to you from the Old Testament to set us up today, to get us uh, some perspective on what we're about to read. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, you have some incredible stories of people who had experienced God in a variety of ways. Uh, one of them, maybe the most notable, is a guy named Moses. Moses is a very big deal if you've ever read through the Old Testament. In fact, some have called him the Jesus figure of the Old Testament because he delivers the people uh, you know, through the, the work of God, delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses is a really big deal. 
Well, Moses gets the opportunity to do what most people uh, had wanted to do and didn't have the chance, but Moses gets to see God. Moses gets to experience God. I want to read this for you, but I want you to notice how weird it is. I want you to notice the details of this are oddly specific and just let this be the foundation for what we're going to see in John chapter 1. Okay? So here's what we find in Exodus 33, a second book in the Old Testament, if you ever want to go reference this later, uh, but I'll read it to you right now. It says this, then Moses said, now show me your glory. So often seeing God is associated with the glory of God. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. Now I just want you to put yourself in Moses' shoes. What does that sound like to you? Does that sound normal? Does that sound healthy? Probably sounds a little bit weird, okay? Let, let me give you a modern day equivalent. Uh, you're on an online dating service and you look at someone's profile and it has everything but their face and they say, hey, let's meet, but I don't want you to see my face. Anyone else get a red flag on that, right? You're gonna go, what's up with your face? Why can't I see your face? It would be hard to really know someone without ever getting a chance to see their face is kind of a big deal. And so God says, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Oh, okay, this is escalating. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Again, no, notice the details here, this is great. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now, again, very strange. And so I look at this and, and, and it says, okay, you, what did Moses actually see? Well, in this version would say, it sees your, the back of God. Uh, some interpreters would say that Moses didn't see God's back, saw God's shadow going by. So again, there's this idea of like a glimpse of God used to be here, kind of the idea. Not really an intimate encounter, but this was a really big deal. This was an opportunity for someone to behold God. And again, you can realize, whoa, nobody can see God's face. That was the expectation. That was the norm for a long, long time. And then God did something new. Now, if you're with me, in John chapter one, we begin reading in verse nine, and, and I want you just to, to experience the new thing that God is doing, and, and here's the deal. Uh, if, if you're new with us today, we're so glad that you're here. If you're new to this whole uh, church thing, uh, you are absolutely welcome here, and you don't have to agree with us uh, to, to be welcome here. So glad that you're here. This is gonna probably be easier for you to understand what I'm communicating today. If you are not new, you're seasoned, and maybe you've been a Christian for a while now. Um, if, like me, you've grown up reading this, uh, this is gonna be a little bit harder for you, but I'm gonna try to make it weird for you today. You're welcome, okay? So we're gonna get into that. So here we go, John chapter one, verse nine. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is, as we've seen in previous weeks, this is how John likes to describe Jesus as the light. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, really beautiful passage in a lot of ways, uh, but I would suggest that two of those verses we just read, in my view, are the two saddest verses in all of the Bible, okay? I've read the whole thing, I've compared all of it, and I would say, in my opinion, uh, verses 10 and 11 are the two single uh, saddest verses put together in the entire Bible. And you go, why? Well, most of the time when we read the scriptures, we read it from our point of view of, you know, what does it feel like to be on this side of God experiencing what God is doing? But you get a little glimpse behind the curtain of what is it like for God? What's God's experience? So I want you to, to think about what did this feel like for Jesus? Which again is a question we don't often think about. But go back to, to verse 10 and 11. This is what it says. Jesus was in the world and though the world was made through him, we've already talked about that in the series, the whole universe is made through Jesus. The world did not recognize him. Imagine making everything, making everyone, and then you show up and they're like, who are you? They're like, what, what? I, I, I'm the one that like, made it all. They did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See, this is incredibly sad that the creator of the universe shows up and we didn't recognize him and we didn't receive him and we killed him. And from God's point of view, you've got to to feel what that might have felt like to go to your own creation and have this be the result. Now, this, this eludes all kinds of emotions that you and I are very familiar with. Like in this is the, the heartbreak of a parent, that maybe you have a, a child who is estranged from you, or a relationship with one of your children that is broken or far from what you would want, and you know the heartbreak of, of not being received by your own. And, and, and there's, there's some, some parental heartbreak in there as well. For me, it takes me all the way back to elementary school. I have flashbacks of being on a, a playground, uh, and we're choosing kickball teams, I don't know if you guys had a similar experience, uh, but I was never drafted on the kickball team as high as I thought I should be drafted, okay? So I don't know about you, but like we would, we'd all line up and then it's like, all right, uh, team captains, and then they would just one by one, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. And, and so I'd always line up and then what do you do? You look around and you're like, all right, I'm probably fourth pick. You know, I'm doing the math. I'm not number one, but I'm not. I mean, I'm going to go pretty high. I got, I got some kickball skills. And then, you know, they start picking everyone around you, and you're like, wait, really? really? That guy? You're going to pick that guy over me? I mean, and you just start feeling the heartbreak. I mean, man, on a playground, it is brutal when you're growing up, when you don't get picked, and, and everyone else is like, oh, man, I, I guess we'll take Jeremy. You know, it's like, oh, come on. I mean, that, like, all of that, you know, it doesn't go away as you're an adult, right? It just gets worse and gets bigger. And, and we know the heartbreak of, of wanting to be accepted, of wanting to be included, and you're not. And, and, and that which was your own doesn't want you. This is what we're told about the creator of the universe. Jesus shows up and they didn't want him. In fact, they're going to kill him. And this idea is all based around whether or not they could see him. It uses this image of, 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 you know, to those who could see him, to those who couldn't see him. They didn't recognize him. And you look at it, you go, that's a little bit strange. But, but while many people didn't recognize Jesus, there were some who did. And in this passage, it's, it puts a lot of emphasis on that. To, to those who did see him, verse 12 tells us, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Wow, what do you have to do for that? Well, it's not who's like really disciplined or who doesn't make mistakes or who's you know, faultless or who's holier than everyone else. No, those weren't the criteria. It's to those who did see him, to those who did recognize him, to those who were aware of what Jesus was, was up to, what God was up to in the person of Jesus. He gave the right to become children of God. And it begs the question, why didn't everyone see why didn't everyone recognize that this was God? That, that, of course, this is God coming to us. Why didn't they see it? Well, it's actually very interesting when you look at uh, the reasons why uh, we see or don't see certain things. And, and even scientifically, I'm, I'm fascinated by this as to why don't we all see the same things when we all look at the same things? And I came across a video this week that does a little bit of teasing this out and, and helps us to figure out why this might be the case. And so I wanna show you this video. Uh, I think it was originally designed to be viewed on a computer screen. And so some of this might not all translate, but I want you just to notice how we can all look at the same thing and yet there's a lot going on and how we understand what we're looking at. Check this out. Now based on some of your facial expressions, you may need a moment. Uh, to collect yourself, you're like, wait a minute, how is that happening, what's going on? Uh, hopefully a number of those, uh, you were able to experience what they're talking about, and it's a little bit strange. You're like, why is that all happening? Why am I not seeing as clearly as I think I am? Well, there's an interesting line in that video that you might not have caught, but it, it makes a, a point. It says this, the surrounding area has a direct impact on how you see and perceive things even if the result isn't correct. But oftentimes what you're seeing around shapes the way you see it. And, and so you come to conclusion, this is what I'm seeing, but a lot of the surrounding area is, is, is shaping that. Now, when you look at Jesus and you go, why didn't everybody see Jesus? Well, there's a lot of surrounding area to that. Uh, that, that you look at that and you go, well, they were expecting something different or it didn't make sense to them or because of what they saw him do. You know, there's lots of different reasons why. And, and that's why when you study through a gospel of John and, and we're going to get into all the surrounding area of what was going on around him, uh, the goal is that we would be able to see clearly, to, to see what's going on in front of us. Because you gotta wonder, is, is Jesus hard to see? Is this like one of those like challenges? Like if you're good enough, if you're smart enough, if your brain is working right, then you can see him. Otherwise, good luck. You know, you're, you're not ever going to, to be able to see this. It was reminding me of another painful memory of my childhood. Uh, I don't know if any of you read these books. Uh, this was back when I was a kid. Magic Eye Books. Um, yeah, I could never see these, okay? And so I would do everything I could. Uh, again, if you've ever seen these books, every page looks like that, so you'd open it up, and it's like, all right, see the image there. And I would give myself migraines. I mean, I'm squinting and blurring and moving it back and forth and doing everything I can to see it, and I couldn't see it. And I'd have a friend walk by and be like, oh, that's a cool elephant. Like, what? How did you see an elephant there? I just could not figure it out. Side note, like total tangent here. Uh, I had a huge healing moment this morning. Someone came up to me after the first service and said, the reason I can't see it, she said, you probably have astigmatism. I said, I do. And she goes, that's why you can't see it. I'm like, where were you 30 years ago? Like <laughs> that would have changed my childhood and my self-esteem. That's a side point. Okay. So the point is, is, is Jesus hard to see or not? And I want you to, to go back to John and and I think the answer is no, 
It's not a magic eye book. It's not oh, only people that don't have astigmatism can see it. it. It's like anybody can see it if you're looking. And so go with me to John chapter one. Let's look at verse 14. And, and if you like to mark in your Bible, uh, this is a great one to highlight, circle, star it. I mean, this is a, a killer verse, a great verse to memorize as well. It says this, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Ooh, that is good. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is actually a prophecy, something that they were waiting for for generations. Now we read this, we're like, yeah, cool, that's Christmas, you know? Uh, but for them, this is like, you read throughout the Old Testament, there are numerous references to at some day in the future, God's gonna be with us. We, we feel this distance from God, but someday God's gonna come close, God's gonna be near, and, and you have a variety of references to this. Let me give you a couple. Ezekiel 43, verse nine, says, I will live among them forever. Awesome, when is that happening? I don't know, sometime in the future. I will live among them. Oh, that would be so cool when that happens. Zechariah 2.10. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Oh, yes, God will live among us. When is that gonna happen? And generation after generation after generation passed and they kept talking about it. They kept looking forward to it. They're going, when? And then John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally in Greek, it's the idea that God pitched his tent among us, that God set up shop, that God has an address where you live now. And it's like, wow, God is with us. God is among us. God is no longer out there. God is no longer far away, but God has come near. How did God do it? God became flesh. And again, this is a weird image. Now, let me point out what it could have been, but what it doesn't say. It could have been the word became an idea, and it was a beautiful idea. We should write books about it. We should study it. We should ponder the idea. No, the word didn't become an idea. It could have said the word became text, and we had the Bible. No, it didn't say the word became text. It didn't even say uh, the word took on a body, or it could have said the word assumed the appearance of a body. No, no, no. The word became flesh. This is a weird idea when you begin to think about what does this mean for God? It implies a before and an after. Now, a lot of times as Christians, we don't like to think of God like, like really among us. We like to think God is out there. His ways are higher than our ways. He's above us. He's beyond us. You know, he doesn't exist where we exist. And, and while there's certainly references to that, I think it's misleading. And I think it's a, it's a false understanding of where God is. Because what you see here in, in God becoming flesh is that God enters into his creation to become part of his creation. This is a radical point of view for God, that God stoops down, becomes one of us inside of his own creation. There's a before and there's an after, which would imply God was not always flesh. God was not always what he is now, but now he has entered into his own creation to be with us. 
Now, to help you realize how weird this is, uh, I wanna read a third century Christian author, uh, Hippolytus, uh, who talked about this idea and gives great imagery that sounds a bit strange to our ears. Here's what he said in the third century. The word of God, being fleshless, put on the holy flesh from the holy virgin, that's Mary, as a bridegroom a garment, having woven it for himself in the sufferings of the cross. Which is fascinating. What did God do with the flesh he became? He went to a cross with it. He subjected the flesh to murder on a cross. So that having mixed our mortal body with his own power and having mingled the corruptible into the incorruptible and the weak with the strong, he might save the perishing human being. Now this is strange what God is up to, but it is a profound beauty when we realize the implications for us. Now let's go back to chapter one. We'll look at a few more verses. Verse 15 says, John, now remember, this is John the Baptist, not John the author. John testified concerning Jesus. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. That last sentence is a doozy. No one has ever seen God. I preached this at our Thursday night service this week, and after Thursday night, a number of people came to me and said, whoa, 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 what about, what about, what about, and started telling me Old Testament stories. I said, hold on, you realize John said that, not me. Like, I'm reading John's argument. John's argument is, no one has seen God. That's not Jeremy's argument, that's John. So John is saying something that most of us are like, oh, I don't know about that one. No one has seen God, John says, but Jesus has made him known. What do we do with this? How do we make sense? What about Moses? What about our buddy who got to see God? John's argument is, if you haven't seen Jesus, you haven't seen God. Like you might have seen a glimpse, you might have seen a shadow, you may have seen God's back, but you haven't seen God until you've seen the face of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we look at what Moses got to experience, how much more should we get to experience God based on what we have seen today? And this is the language that we find in this passage. Like, I don't know if you noticed, there's a couple big we's here. Uh, for example, verse 14 says, we have seen his glory. Why did they follow Jesus? Not because they read about Jesus, not because uh, they, they had some great idea about who he was. They saw him. We have seen his glory. We have seen what it looks like when God becomes flesh. What, what did that lead to? A couple of verses later says, we have all received grace. That those of us who have seen it have received the grace that comes through the person of Jesus Christ. This is very experiential. And the reason that you and I are here today or wherever you are watching or listening to this is because the we here kept telling others about what they had seen and what they had received and they passed it on. And today we have the invitation to see the same thing and receive the same thing because they keep telling us about their experience. 
And so the question for each of us is, have you been a part of this we? Are you a part of this we? Would you say, yes, I have seen the glory of God in the person of Jesus. Yes, I have received grace through the person of Jesus. Because that is the invitation when you read this to go, have I seen what they saw? Have I experienced the same thing today? Now, you could stop here, and this could be kind of a theoretical message, and go, okay, let's, let's ponder whether or not we've seen that way. But I, I want to get to a next level of how does this actually play out in real time? How do, how do we really think about this when we're talking about it and we're thinking about it for ourselves? So I want to give you a little uh, analogy, and all analogies break down somewhere, but uh, I think this will be helpful for at least someone. Okay? So I think the way that we often describe Jesus is imagine that there's like this continuum of, you know, you start over here or you could go over there and God's on the continuum somewhere. And when we talk about how do you see God or how do you experience God, most of us, uh, the way we often use this is we'll, we'll talk about a line. Like there's, there's some point that is a defining line. And so we'll just put the line right here. And we'll say, that is the line of, of really experiencing Jesus. And so, uh, maybe for you, you're going, hey, I used to be over here. This was my life. I experienced it. But I crossed over. I made a decision. I, I turned my life around. And now I'm over here. And this is the way we commonly talk about seeing God or experiencing God, right? That there's this turning point, this definitive moment. I crossed over. I did it. Which then leads to this question. Now what? <laughs> I did it. I was over there. Now I'm here. Now what? And if you've ever asked that question, uh, the answer to the now what is, well, get other people over there, over here. Okay, so we cross back over the line. We go, hey, do you see that line there? Let me tell you all about it. Da, 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 da. If you could get over that line, I'll help you get over the line. But if you get over that line, then you could be like me. And we try to bring other people and we try to get them over the line. They're like, oh, I did it over the line. And they go, now what? You go, Let's get other people. And so we keep going back. Hey, let me tell you about this line. And, and here's what the line looks like. And, and here's the reality. The, the problem with this, because maybe you're going, yeah, that sounds, that sounds right. The problem with this is in this model, this way of thinking, you and I become the gatekeepers. We are the keepers of the line. Let me tell you what the line is like. Let me tell you all the things that you've got to do. You better do this right. And if you don't do this right, and, and, and so we get fascinated by the line and all the details. So we come over here and we tell people, let me tell you about the line. And here's all the things you got to do. And if you do them right, now here's what you may have noticed if you've been around this for, for any amount of time. The line looks different uh, depending on which church you're in depending on which Christian tradition you're in, uh, depending on where you're experiencing it uh, in the world, right? We have, we have different versions of the line. And so some people, you know, the line might be over here or maybe it's over there. And some people, you go, I'm over here. And they go, no, you didn't really cross the line. The line's over there. And, and we get obsessed with the line. And here's the problem. When you are thinking about this line and getting people over, you might, you might have a great intent. You might have a great, I'm gonna get people over there. But it's very hard for people to see Jesus when you're staring at a line. It's very hard for people to see what you have seen. Why would I go over there? Because all I can see is the line and the rules and the regulations. And if we're honest, sometimes we get so obsessed with the line that it's not really a line, it's like a little wall. And we just keep stacking things on top and top and top and top. And they're like, hey, hope you can get over it like I did. Hope you can arrive like I did. And meanwhile, we're not spending any time thinking about what happens over here. Like, once I get over it, what, what happens? No, no, no. We just turn back and we are so focused on the line. 
and we miss something that Jesus is inviting us to experience. Now, if you're writing things down, here's a good one to write down. There's a big difference between crossing a line and following Jesus on a journey. Most of Christianity today is about crossing a line. As long as you're in, yeah? You need that fire insurance to keep you from hell. And if you're in, you're good. Just get in. Well, where's in? It's just across whatever version of the line that you adhere to. And so we just try to be people over, but we never think about what happens on the other side of the line. What should happen once I've arrived there? So here's what I think we're doing. We have taken a starting line and we're turning it into a finish line. Well, as soon as you get over here, you've arrived. Instead of going, wow, that was a key moment for me. What's next? What do I get to experience now that I made that decision? Now that I decided to trust in Jesus, what's going to happen differently in my life? Now, I wanna share with you what I would suggest might be the most underutilized, underrated verse in the entire New Testament that, that speaks to what happens on the other side. It happens when you get that direction. This comes from uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, His divine power, God, has given us everything we need for a godly life. Just pause there for a second. You have everything you need for a godly life. Some of that may change your life. Uh, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, referring to the glory and the goodness of God, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Now, this is getting weird. What do you mean participate in the divine nature. This is what happens as you journey this way. You start to go, whoa, my life feels way different than it used to. I'm experiencing things I never experienced before, things that I didn't even know about over there. You begin to participate with something radically different. And this is what happens, why? Because God came to us, God became flesh. As Michael Gorman, the scholar says it, God, or specifically Christ, became what we are so that we could become what he is. God became flesh so you could be like God. Now, don't mean like you're gonna be your own God and you're gonna have your own thing, but God wants you to participate in who God is, participate in the divine nature. So how are we doing with that? Are we living our life like that? Would we say our life is participating in the divine nature? Or for most of us, we go, yeah, it's not how I would describe my experience. Now, I don't know where you are today. For some of you, maybe you're like, hey, wherever that line is, I'm on this side of it. I, I, I can see the line. It looks like maybe insurmountable to me, uh, but I, I'm just over here. And if that's you, again, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, please feel comfortable here. You're welcome here. Uh, if you never get over the line, we still want you here, okay? You, you're welcome here to experience this. And so you might go, I, I just, I, I don't know if I could get over that line. That looks too challenging. But maybe you have crossed over, but if you're honest, you're not looking that way. You're looking this way. You're just focused so much on the line. And yeah, you might try to bring others over, but if you're honest, most of your conversations about the line and about who's in, who's out, and whether they're really in and what you gotta do to get in. And then the invitation for all of us to go, what if we actually looked this way? Like, like what if we understood that, yeah, that's, that's like a, a starting line and that might be a defining moment for us, but that's the beginning of a journey. 
You see, when you get over here and, and you start kind of moving away from it, what you can do is just invite people naturally. Hey, come, I want you to see what I'm experiencing, come on. And rather than have a conversation about a lime, you're inviting them to participate with you in the divine nature. Here's what God's doing in my life. Here's, here's something new that happened here. Wow, here's what I'm learning. Here's what's, how I'm growing. Here's what things that God is changing in me. And you can invite others to experience what's on the other side if you frame it differently, if you don't just talk about this line. As one author, Megan Westra, says it, God went so far as to come in the person of Jesus, binding together the human and the divine to show us the truest, fullest extent of God's nature, which is unconditional, self-sacrificial love. So when we participate with this, the question is, do you see what I see? Have you experienced this? Because when you give up being the gatekeeper, you can allow people to see what you have seen, to see what's on the other side, to see what's over there when we stop focusing all of the conversation on the line. Now, think about all that Moses got to experience with God and now realize that you have seen more than Moses saw. Moses in his lifetime never got to see the person of Jesus. You have seen Jesus. You have experienced the, the person of, of Jesus, of Jesus going to the cross. You, you know about that. How much more should we experience God today? Jesus is not a magic eye book that you have to squint at and hopefully you can figure it out. It's right there in front of us if we will look. So here's what I would close with. The goal is not a line. The goal is to say, hey, rather than uh, obsessing over this of who's in and who's out, rather than me feeling like I'm the gatekeeper and actually creating a block for people to see God, what if I just invited others into the journey? See, the goal isn't to cross the line. The goal is to pursue Jesus. And so much of Christianity has become cross the line, cross the line, get others across the line, determine who's over and who's not over. And, and we spend all of our time talking about this stupid line. And it makes it so hard for people to see what we have seen, to see the goodness of God. But if you just pursue Jesus and you go, look, I'm gonna go there, I'm gonna invite everyone with me I can to experience what I am experiencing, then I think we'll find that others can see what we have seen. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we invite you to lead us on a journey, to lead us forward, not just forward across the line, but forward into the unknown journey of what it means to follow you into the adventure of wherever you wanna take us. And so we, we want to participate with you, with the divine nature, because you became flesh. You've invited us to become what you are because of what you have done in the person of Jesus. And so as we see that, as we recognize that, may we follow you forward, not to create a line that makes it difficult for others to see you, but to follow you and experience more of you as we participate with you in what you're doing. Jesus, may we not be hung up on crossing a line, but may we be pursuing you forward ever further into what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.